Okay, we are continuing our study together in the subject of the covenants, and we are looking at the issue of the new covenant. Now, previously, we have seen the blessings of the new covenant and its promises. And we have seen that God promises to change the hearts of his people. He promises to write his law on their hearts, that he promises to have a personal relationship with us. He will be our God and we shall be his people. Um, we see that um, everyone that's in the new covenant knows the Lord. There are no unsaved people in the covenant community like there was under the old covenant. And we see that all those who are in the new covenant have their sins forgiven. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And then finally, of course, all of them have the blessing of eternal life. And so we have looked at these blessings of the new covenant in our past studies. Now, last week, having looked at the terms of the covenant and the promises of the covenant, we began looking at the participants in the covenant. Who is in the covenant community and who are the recipients and the participants of that new covenant community. And we said that it is those who have faith in Jesus Christ who are members of the new covenant community. Now, uh, what we did last time, as you recall, is we spent almost our entire time in Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, it talked about how God saves an individual. You has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so he talks about our state and depravity. We walked according to uh, the course of this world. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked according to uh, our own sinful lusts in the flesh. And as a result, we were the children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love wherewith he loved us, um, uh, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace we're saved and has caused us to be seated together with Christ in the heavenlies. So by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. However, having fully described what we were and how God saved us and the privilege that has brought us into as individuals, he then, in the remainder of the chapter, talks about how each of those individuals are then placed into a covenant community. Because before they were saved, he said, you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers from the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you're without God. And clearly, to be outside the covenant community is to be outside of God's saving grace. In other words, if we're saved, we're in the covenant community. If we're unsaved, we're outside the covenant community. And so we begin to ask ourselves, well, 
who is this covenant community made up of and what does it look like? And we saw that both Jew and Gentile are reconciled to each other and they're reconciled to God. The old covenant, the law of ordinances contained in the commandments has been abolished and that we are now both one new man in Christ. And so through the work of Jesus, the old covenant's been done away and therefore now Jew and Gentile can be of a peace before the Jews were to have nothing to do with the Gentiles. They were to remain separate from them. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were afar off are made near by the blood of Christ. And so then in the remainder of Ephesians 2, we saw that um, through Jesus, we both now have access by one spirit unto the Father. And therefore, we are no more strangers and foreigners, that is, strangers to the covenant community, foreigners to the covenant community. Uh, but we are now fellow citizens with the saints, and we're now family with the saints. We're now of the household of God. And we, in fact, make up a temple of God in which God dwells. So we see individual salvation in verses 1 through 10, and then we see a corporate community made up of those individually saved people who themselves then collectively form a unit, a kingdom, a family, a temple. And so while God saves us as individuals, he doesn't save us uh, individualistically or atomistically, but rather he saves us uh, into a corporate community. So uh, if one is saved, one is added to the church. And if one is saved and not added to the church, uh, that is an impossibility. Now that leads us then today to the subject of the issue of the church. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the church? Now, the word church, ecclesia, simply means the called out ones. And so the church is made up of those who have been called by God with the effectual call and the general call, called out of the world and into faith in Jesus Christ. They've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness, called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son. And the church, therefore, is made up of all of those who have repented of their sins, placed their trust in Jesus Christ, have been born again and brought into a saving relationship with Jesus. They are all called the church. Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, on what rock is he building his church? the rock of Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So the rock or the foundation upon which the church is built and the people with whom it is being built are those who like Peter confess, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Kurt covered that uh, last week, couple weeks ago in a sermon. So anyhow, um, <clears throat> this, this body called the church has two aspects. It has the universal aspect, which the church is universally made up of all of those 
who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the universal church um, is made up of all believers who are alive at any point in time on the earth or in heaven. And so we speak of the universal church as being the church triumphant, those who are already saved and in heaven, and the church militant, that is, those of us who are still on earth fighting uh, the good fight of faith and fighting against the kingdom of darkness until such a time as God sees fit to take us home to be with himself. Now, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. So what's, what's critically important for us to understand is that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who claim to be saved, but who never go to church and never involve themselves in a church, never join a church. And what we need to understand is that is grossly abnormal. It is entirely contrary to God's plan and purpose in salvation. It is um, unheard of in the scripture that someone would be saved and not be intimately involved in and attached to and participating in God's church. All right. So in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of the book of Hebrews is talking to these Hebrew Christians. And he says to them in Hebrews 12, 22, speaking of them as saved people, he says in Hebrews 12, 22, but you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. And what is that mountain? And what is that city? Answer, the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, so we have a mountain, we have a city, and ours is not somewhere on this earth. Okay, it's not over in the Middle East. Okay, it is the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the new heavens and the new earth. That's our Mount Zion. That's our heavenly Jerusalem to which we're moving. That's our city. Okay, and to an innumerable company of angels. These are all, of course, the unfallen angels. And they worship God and we worship God and we're all reconciled to God. Now here it is, verse 23. And you are come to, verse 23, the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. So there's a general assembly and a church that's made up of who? It's made up of all believers in Jesus Christ. It's made up of all of those who are reconciled to God. And so we call this the universal church. It's also called the body of Christ. It's also called the temple of God. It's also called the family of God. All these metaphors are used to describe the uh, new covenant church. And so this general assembly of the church of the firstborn is all of those who are born of Jesus Christ. And so there are no second born, third born, fourth born children in God's family. We're all first born children because the genealogy goes, Jesus Christ, you. Okay. And you don't have like older siblings that are between you and Jesus. Right. Um, and so we're all first born children. Uh, just like Jesus was a first born, we are first born as well. So this is the concept then of the universal church. It's the general assembly of all of those who are saved. So it says, uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, 
For by one spirit we have all been baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. And so in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. For whom did Christ die on the cross? Well, we can say he died for everybody who's ever going to be saved. We can say that, right? Okay. So everybody who's ever going to be saved makes up who? The church that Christ loved. So this concept of the universal church can be found in the scriptures in several places very clearly. It's here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. It's in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. It's in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, among other places. However, the vast majority of the emphasis in the New Testament is not on the universal church. The vast majority of the emphasis in the New Testament is on the local church. And that's the other aspect of the doctrine of the church that's brought out in the Bible. Yes, there's this universal church of all believers in Jesus Christ, so that you have a spiritual union and communion with every truly born again person who ever has lived or ever is living or ever shall live. But how can you have fellowship with a truly born again person that's over in India? <laughs> you can't. You can't meet with them for worship. You can't be involved with them in fellowship. You can't break bread with them. And you can't pray with them. They're too far away. So God in his wisdom has been pleased then to establish what we call local churches, which are a small segment of the universal church but which is the local representation of that universal church and is the visible manifestation of the universal church on the earth in a particular geographical area. So the concept of the local church is something that the scripture sets forth and we have most of our New Testament written to local churches. Um, you know, the church at Rome, church at Corinth, church at Galatia, uh, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Colossae, fill in the blanks. Um, the New Testament is written to local churches. And indeed, the New Testament is so local church saturated that if you are not committed to a local church and a member of a local church, you cannot obey half the New Testament because it's all about what? Local church life. Because that's how God raises his spiritual children. The family and the home in which he raises them is the local church. And that's why it's so critical for you to be a committed member of a church is so that you can be part of a family. And, uh, you know, you see a kid running around in the street, and you say, well, what's your name? Who's your family? Where's your home? And uh, if he's not your kid, you don't take care of him. 
You expect his parents and his family to take care of him. And it's the same way with a Christian who's just out there wandering around from church to church. Who's going to take care of him? You know, a pastor takes care of his sheep. He's got to know who his sheep are. Who are his sheep? Those who are the members of his church. And so it's imperative then that we become committed to a particular body of believers. Now turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul here is talking to a local church, the church at Corinth. And he speaks of the universal church in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So he takes the truth of the universal church and then he particularizes it and localizes it and takes this concept of the universal body and applies it to this particular local body at Corinth. And so he begins to talk about the concept of the body in verses four, uh, th- pardon me, in verses 14 through verse 20 and following. So he says, the eye, verse 21, cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. And so he talks about the unity that's in the local church, verse 25. There should be no schism or division in the body. The members should have the same care one for another. So there's the concept of church membership there. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so this is something we can only do on a local level. I can't rejoice with uh, or be honored with or suffer with somebody that's over in Russia. I just don't have the personal relationship with them to make that possible. Now, notice what he says in verse 27. Now you are, and in the Greek, the definite article is not there. Okay, so it reads in the Greek, now you are a body of Christ and members in particular. So there is the body of Christ, which is the universal church made up of all believers, both on earth and in heaven. And then there is uh, individual bodies of Christ which are particular local churches. Now, turn to Acts chapter 20. In the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul is giving his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And notice what he does. He gathers the elders of a local church. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 Acts 20.17, if I get the right chapter, the verse will come right. Yeah, there it is. It says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, what church is he talking about here? Well, clearly he's talking about the local church. I mean, the elders in Ephesus are not the elders of Thessalonica. 
they're not the elders of Athens or of Corinth. They're the elders of a particular local church. All right. And he gives them a long discourse about how he has dealt with them, the message he's preached to them, the integrity he showed. And now he says, I'm not going to be around anymore. Um, but notice he's now shifting the responsibility to them. Verse 28, when he says to them, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Now, what church is he talking about here when he talks about the church of God? He's talking about the church at Ephesus. These elders can't feed the church that's over in Rome. They can't feed the church that's down in Jerusalem. The church is the local church, which is the visible manifestation of the universal church that's made up of all believers. And so uh, I, I remember when I was a young, young Christian uh, and I first started learning about the church and, 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 and the universal church and all that. And I thought I was really clever. And um, I had a guy come up to me and, and somehow he found out I was a Christian. He was a Christian. He says, oh, he says, what church are you a member of? And I said very smugly and arrogantly, well, you know, I'm a member of the church of all believers in Jesus Christ. And I thought I was so clever. I wasn't going to be sectarian and say I was a member of this church or that church. I was broader minded than that. I was a member of the universal church. And that's all I needed to be a member of. And whether you go to this church or that church, hey, no big deal. We're all Christians, right? Wrong. Stupid. Ignorant. Immature. Uninformed. That's who I was and that's what I was expressing. He just kind of smiled. And uh, I've since learned better. Um, where do you go to hear preaching at the Universal Church? Who are, who are the elders of the Universal Church? Uh, how do you have communion with the Universal Church? And how does the Universal Church exercise church discipline? It's impossible. So the point is, is that yes, we're all members of the universal church and that's a wonderful truth and we will see the fruition of that in heaven. But right now, our membership in the universal church is to be reflected in our membership and involvement in a local church. And so the local church is the vehicle for the present fulfillment of the new covenant promises and blessings that are made to God's church. And so the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, is the visible manifestation of that covenant community. Now, one of the things you see God doing is as soon as he saves people, he puts them in a covenant community. Okay, He did that with the people in the Noahic covenant. He did that with the people in the Abrahamic covenant. He did that with the people in the old covenant, the new covenant. Um, God is about creating covenant communities. And if you are in a relationship with God, then you are necessarily in a relationship with a community of people who are in a relationship with God. And that's true universally, but it's especially true locally. Now, 
Uh, I'm going to close with this because our time is gone. And this is a critical concept. The local church is to be a direct reflection of and a visible manifestation of the universal church in all of its characteristics. Meaning that when we look at the new covenant and the terms that it expresses with reference to the universal church, what does it say about the universal church? Well, God says in particular, he says, um, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That's regeneration. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. That's relationship. And they shall teach no man his neighbor and no man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. There will be universal salvation among all those members. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So what do we have in the new covenant? We have a group of people who are regenerate. We have a group of people who are in a relationship with God. We have a group of people, all of whom are saved. And we have a group of people, all of whom their sins and iniquities are remembered no more. Now, those are the people with whom the new covenant is made. And those are the people who make up the new covenant community. Now, if that's the characteristic of this universal church of the new covenant, then those also ought to be the characteristics of the local churches that are the visible manifestations of that universal church under the new covenant. Which means that the only people we admit into church membership are those who are regenerate, have the law of God written in their minds and their hearts, who have a relationship with God. They all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And who are reconciled to God. Their sins and iniquities have been remembered no more. The Lord adds to the church daily what? Those who are being saved. Those who gladly receive his word. They're baptized. They're added to the church. And you don't include anybody in the visible, local, new covenant community who is not also in the universal, invisible covenant community of the universal church. That's why, people, we don't baptize infants, and that's why we don't include infants in church membership. That's why we don't baptize unsaved people and include unsaved people in the church membership. Now, if we make a mistake, somebody claims to be saved, and yet later on it turns out they're not, what do we do? We exercise church discipline. We put them out of the covenant community. Because the New Testament church is to be a mirror reflection as much as humanly possible of the universal church under the terms of the new covenant. So we're going to talk about that next time. And in particular, how that bears on the subject of infant baptism. But the local church is to exhibit the character of the new covenant community as it's described in the scriptures. And of course, the major problem with the old covenant community and why it was such a mess is because it was made up of both saved and unsaved people, right? And the new covenant church is not to be that kind of a mess. 
because it's made up of only saved people. And therefore, they're all going to know the Lord. They're all going to follow the Lord. Not perfectly, but that'll be the focus in the heart of their life. And so when you find somebody in the church doesn't want to follow the Lord, doesn't know the Lord, manifest that by the behavior in their life, what do you do? You put that wicked man from among you. 1 Corinthians 5. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've given us not only a universal church, but also a local one. And Father, it is in the local church that the blessings and the benefits and the responsibilities of the new covenant are hammered out and lived out in the lives of your people. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the centrality of the local church to the new covenant and the importance of us being committed members of that church under that covenant. And now, Father, we pray that you would bless uh, the next hour and our worship of your glorious name and your blessed Son. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.